0: The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that appear in this story, ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. David Paul Nixon, and you're listening to the New Ghost Stories Podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. It's fair to say that this podcast isn't always a lot of fun. True, there is sometimes a lot of humour, dark or otherwise, in these ghost stories. Occasionally we even end on a high note. Somebody is tested by a series of events and by the end they come out stronger than before. But sometimes when we're tested,
1: we fail. Today's case is about failure and it's a story that's very bleak.
0: This podcast depends on me at some point, giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's true that I do a great deal of research for every case, and when this whole process begins I'm up front with each new subject about requiring that they provide me with various forms of evidence to back up their claims. Sometimes I never hear again from people after making this request. I don't immediately assume that they're engaged in some acts of deception, or they may not have considered the amount of time and effort that they would need to put in to take part in this. Perhaps they were too reluctant to have their beliefs proved wrong. In the beginning, back when I started out, I was more interested in provability than I am now. And what I mean by that statement is, what I wanted originally from these new ghost stories was to offer the best available evidence of ghosts. Stories that could be the real thing, it's in the opening of the podcast after all. Over time, however, my aims have become more nuanced. My focus has shifted more towards exploring the more unusual extremes of human experience. Trying to understand or prove that ghosts exist feels less important now than trying to understand why we experience them, whether they're real or not. We seem to have within us a powerful capacity to experience things beyond the everyday. My research has, over time, become more about dismissing the obvious. There has been, over the years, a couple of people who have tried deliberately to pull the wool over my eyes, but more often than not, my investigations have turned up a more obvious cause or solution that casts doubt on whether I'm exploring a supernatural experience or not. Sometimes things can be strange and mysterious. Sometimes they're just clear-cut. It almost certainly wasn't a ghost. Sometimes things are more ambiguous. And this is where I've become more comfortable operating, less concerned with trying to prove anything. And this is where I've become more comfortable operating, less concerned with trying to prove anything, but more interested in perhaps the limitless potential of our consciousness our ability to shape what we see and experience through the human mind, and perhaps beyond, wherever the limits may lie. Now none of this is an exact science. Ultimately I can only do so much research and study. At some point when I've heard the account multiple times, considered the timeline, viewed the additional pieces of data, the WhatsApp messages, the receipts, then put it all together scrutinised it knowing what I do about our pattern-seeking brains, our fallibilities, our biases. I have to make a decision. I have to make a call on whether I think what happened is true, at least from the perspective of the subject, or whether I think it's simply false. Do I think there's an obvious explanation for what happened? Have they got things wrong? Is there not enough information to tell? When you add it all up, is this something that is genuinely unexplainable by other means? It appears to have actually happened. And when I make that call, when I'm happy to publish a story in print or on this podcast, I have to make a choice to give someone the benefit of the doubt. For there is always some doubt in there. There is never any way I can be completely sure I just have to be sure enough. That means there is a risk. It could mean perhaps that there are stories in the canon which are false. I suppose the harm of such an error is probably small, beyond my own pride and credibility perhaps. And I do, after all, always ask you, my listeners, to consider whether you think the story you're about to hear is fact or fiction. But there are cases where there is more at stake, where terrible events have taken place, and whereas I've become comfortable operating in a place of ambiguity, others may simply look at these occurrences and draw a straight line, a more conclusive view about what took place. Because if the supernatural isn't real, if we're simply dealing with simple human actions, basic cause and effect, then we have to look to the people involved and assign blame to them for what happened. I've always wanted to avoid judgment, to give people a voice, the chance to tell their story. I try not to assume that when someone sits opposite me and they clearly have problems or personal issues that they can't be trusted, that they mustn't be listened to. But if you've done something terrible, isn't there an extra motivation to invent a story? something that absolves you of all responsibility, allows you to blame someone else. One of the things that makes ghost stories frightening is the fear of the unknown, what happens to the dead, and what will happen to us when we die. But ghost stories are also about the living, and the unspeakable things that we do to each other. Many of these stories have kept me up at night, What I'll say about this case, it has kept me up for more nights than most. This is case number 288, and it's called The Damp, and you can hear it in full, uninterrupted, after these messages. Before we start, I want to ask a quick favour. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could give the show a review. It really helps people to find the show, and for me to share it with new listeners. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts or on the Spotify mobile app if you go to the show page and tap the three dot button. It really does make a huge difference. Thank you. And now, on with the story. It's always been a bit of a joke in my family that I'm the clumsy, useless one. Couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery without burning the place down first. I've always been like that, stumbling about, knocking stuff over, dropping things. My brothers, they're all athletic. Me, I was always tripping and falling. I was hospitalised before I turned one year old for falling over a doorstep and cracking my head open. I was there again a year later for exactly the same thing. Same doorstep too. Once I tripped and actually got a black eye from hitting a door, When I told my teachers at school they phoned social services because they thought Dad had hit me. He used to tell me that he had to show them the dent in the door before they'd believe him. I've just always been like that. A walking disaster. It's always been such a joke to everyone how clumsy and disaster prone I am. People used to laugh at me all the time. Couldn't have a conversation with anyone without them rolling their eyes at me. Laura found it lovable at first. She's the type who likes to nurse a sick puppy. I wasn't so lovable when I knocked her up, though. My family said it. Only I could get a girl pregnant while wearing a condom. We'd been going out six months. But that's way too early for something that serious. Things did get pretty serious after that. She was angry at first furious. But I said to her that if she wanted to keep it, we'd sort it out. I'd leave uni for just a bit and start working full time and we'd save up enough money and we'd be okay. She didn't want to get rid of it anyway. I don't think she could go through with it. But I wanted to make sure she was going to feel right about keeping it. She had doubts though even then. I knew... I'm not really a prized catch. And she could have had other guys, of course she could. Good looking girl, sweetest little face. She was built like a child, always looked like she was wearing a mother's clothes. She could never get anything that fit. And you should have seen her when she was pregnant. She was almost as wide as she was tall. You could have knocked her over with a push. She found me funny at first. That's probably why we kept seeing each other, at least for so long. I'm pretty harmless, mostly just a danger to myself. I'm not a complete dick, I'm good to girls, I treat them right. But, you know, once she got pregnant, things needed to get serious. And she looked at me and, well, she had doubts that she could ever be serious with me. She never said anything, but I knew. I could see she wasn't sure whether we could have a kid together and be together, like a proper family, a real mum and dad. I did my best, like I said, tried to show her that we could make it work together. I might be a bit of an idiot, but you couldn't say that I didn't try. I've never been a quitter. And she went along with it. But the doubt, I could see it in her eyes in those moments, those bad times when it all gets a bit real at the NCT classes or when looking at the costs of childcare or trying to make sure you buy all the right stuff. And when I'd get something wrong, that look of panic, like the walls were closing in. I was determined. I wanted to prove that I was more than just some clumsy idiot. I was serious and wanted to get
1: serious. You know, I loved her. She was the sweetest little thing. And I
0: took my responsibilities totally seriously. It's the biggest responsibility in the world, being a parent, isn't it? I worked hard, totally hard. I was working in the call centre all day and doing two or three shifts at night delivering pizzas. She can say what she likes about me,
1: but she can't say I didn't work hard. Or that I didn't try my best. She can't say that. What we needed, what we really needed, was a place to ourselves. I
0: was sharing a flat and she was sharing a house. And we really needed to share a place together where I could look after her. That's why I was working so hard. But I couldn't get all the money together in time. And when the baby was born, we had to live for six months at her parents. They didn't like me much either. Always sticking their noses in. Hold her like this, feed her like this, don't put her down like that. I know I'm a little accident prone, but it's not like I'm a total disaster area. I was trying. But she, she'd always listen to them and never to me. And that always got under my skin. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Couldn't wait. With the money we had, though, we couldn't afford much. Of course we had to get a fixer-upper. She agreed to it. She was there. She saw and she put her name on the dotted line, like I did. But when we got there, she's all teary-eyed and unhappy and screaming and shouting at me. What did she expect? All it needed was a lick of paint. Sure was going to be hard work. But I'd do it. I
1: said I'd do it. She was just like up and down all the time. Emotional roller coaster all day long.
0: I got all the stick, but she was no picnic either. Suppose it was the hormones, but she was just laying into me all the time. I was doing my best. No matter what she said to me, I kept working, kept on going for her and the kid. It was tough looking after the kid and working and trying to make a nice home for them both. Didn't get any thanks for it, not at all. No thanks at all, still. Of course it's going to be hard work, moving into a new place, of course it is. But every little thing used to set her off. She was crying more than the baby was. Perhaps we should have waited longer to move in. But she wanted space from her parents as much as I did. And I did us up a room for us all to live in to begin with. It was cramped, but I did it up nice before I started working on anything else. Don't know what she was getting so stressed about. It was me who had to go to work all day, me who had to do up the house for them both. Then we found out about the damp. We knew we had some, sure. Our place is in an upstairs flat, but with its own stairway and entrance and there was some down in the entrance hall, just below where we would hang our coats, or where we would have hung our coats if it wasn't damp there. But then we found there was loads of damp under the wallpaper in one of the rooms. Managed to miss that on the survey, didn't they? So she goes off on one, storms out, and goes back to her parents. I couldn't believe it! But they said to me that she was just taking things a bit too hard, and maybe it was best if we had just a couple of days apart so she could calm down and relax. They were much nicer than usual. Perhaps they realised that just maybe, just maybe, I was trying my best. So I stayed there a couple of nights just by myself, giving her some space or whatever. When I wasn't at work, I was trying to sort out the walls. I went at the damp, did my best to get rid of it, Hot water and soap at first, and then bleach. I thought the bleach seemed to do it, but it just seemed to come back after a few hours. Then I put this seal over it that was supposed to stop it from getting worse. Then I painted over it and it seemed fine. I didn't want it to be there when she came back. Even though we weren't really working on that side of the flat yet, I just didn't want her to have to see it and get upset. She came back the Saturday after, actually apologised to me, that was a first. Worked hard while she was away, got some more carpets down so little Amy could play on the floor without risk of her getting a splinter or cutting herself on a nail. At least in the living room and small bedroom. It's hard enough keeping kids' hands to themselves, never mind when you've got DIY stuff all over the house. Baby Amy had the little bedroom. We were sleeping in the living room. Those few days away seemed to really change Laura. She was a lot more chilled and understanding. Even when the damp came back, she didn't seem to get too upset. I didn't understand it. It was like I'd never painted the wall. It just showed back through. It looked even worse. I thought that at the time, that somehow it had got worse thought it was creepy looking. There were spots and patches all over the wall, but there were these big four shapes, tall waves or shadows in the middle. I just thought it must be my imagination. Even when I started to hear noises coming from the room late at night, I heard the floorboards creaking, like there were people moving in there. I remember nudging Laura, but she said she couldn't hear anything. And she was there more than I was, all day and night.
1: She never heard anything from that room, and just thought it was me. Stupid old me. Her dad
0: said I must have used the wrong kind of sealer. Just assumes I must be wrong, like he knows everything about DIY. It was hard work, I can tell you. I could only work at the flat when I was at home and Laura had Amy to look after all the time, so she couldn't do much. Even when she was asleep, Laura had to be careful not to do anything that she might accidentally carry with her on her hands or leave something out the baby might hurt herself on. We didn't want to wake her up either. We used to leave the painting till the weekend, take Amy to Laura's parents so she wouldn't be breathing the fumes. We ended up leaving that other bedroom to last because of the damp. Couldn't explain it. They got this guy to come round, a mate of a mate of mine. We had to call in all the favours we could. By this time we were even more skint. He couldn't explain it. Didn't know why there was damp there. He recommended this special damp proof paint. It was expensive. Had to wait till I got paid before I could get some. Maybe I should have got it sooner. Maybe that would have stopped it. Maybe it is my fault, after all. I got home one day and there was this black footprint on the landing. First thing I thought was that I was going to get the blame for that, even though it wasn't my fault. That's what happens when you're known to be a bit clumsy. People start to blame you for stuff they did, because they don't want to admit that they've made a mistake. I was about to shout for Laura. That carpet was brand new. when. I don't know why, maybe instinct, but I looked at that damp. The door to that bedroom was wide open. And was it me or was it different? Like it had moved around a bit. The big shapes had shifted. I just thought I must be imagining it. I'd have forgotten it if it wasn't for what happened. But I did think that at the time. What happened next was that some of Laura's friends were getting married down south. Laura said we couldn't go because of the kid. We wouldn't be able to enjoy ourselves, have a drink, and it was really a long way to go and we'd have to get a hotel and it was all too expensive. Her folks would be on holiday and mine were no good. Mum had died a couple of years before and Dad was off his face most of the time. Laura didn't like Amy being anywhere near him at all and we were definitely not going to leave her alone with him. So I said she should go down, have a good time. And leave the baby with me. Well, you can imagine the look I got when I said that. Leave the baby alone with me. Mr. Disaster Area. Mr. Clumsy. Mr. Fuck-up. She wouldn't admit it, but I knew. She was afraid to leave me alone with the baby. She was afraid. I was so angry, I was so mad. I worked so hard for them both. Done the whole flat up, practically single-handed. And she couldn't trust me with a child. I mean, I'd hardly had any accidents. Only a few cuts and bruises. The only thing that hadn't gone right was the damn wall. You can't leave her alone. You've got to watch her all the time. Yeah, as if I didn't know that by now. Jesus, she was a year old. I knew all about what to do. I knew about feeding and changing and naps and all the stuff. She didn't trust me, that's all it was. She didn't fucking trust me. We had such a row. I don't normally get like that, but we just flat out rowed. I told her that she had to let go. She couldn't be there all the time. She had to cut the... what's it called? Umbilical cord. She had no defence, not really. She was just scared to leave the kid alone with me. After I stopped getting angry with her, I calmed down and tried my best to show her I could handle it all on my own. I'd done it all before anyway. She was just scared I'd fuck it up as usual. It became a massive issue and in the end I made her go to her friend's wedding,
1: shouted and yelled at her until she said yes. She was going. Fucking idiot that I was. She still made me do a run through the weekend before. She spent the day out
0: with friends and came back that night to make sure I'd not killed her by mistake. Come the day, she struggled to even go out the door. I had to call the taxi for her and practically pushed her down the stairs. She left about 15 phone numbers I could call if anything went wrong while she was away. It was unbelievable. But perhaps she'd had a premonition, some kind of female intuition. I remembered that look as she
1: left. That look of fear. She was almost in tears. Everything seemed to go alright at first. That first
0: day was fun. I felt a bit restless. There was still so much to do in the flat. We you can't really do anything with the kid around. Can't paint or sand or anything. But we had the TV on and I sat with her and played with her. Cleaned her up. Put her to bed on time. When it was time for me to go to bed, I actually pulled her crib back into the living room, where we were still sleeping. I was a bit nervous about having her on my own for the first time too, I suppose. She was always a good sleeper. Didn't often wake me and Laura up at night. But I was restless, don't know why. I couldn't really get to sleep. I wanted to get to work and get stuff done all day, but I just hadn't had chance was lying in bed, and I hear the floor creak. I don't make much of it because that happens, it's not a new flat, but I hear it again, and I reckon it's from close by, and when I hear it right by the crib, I roll over and suddenly see this shadow right over Amy. I leap out of bed and accidentally knock the bedside lamp off the table, so I get up and run for the light. I switch it on, but there's nothing
1: there. The kid is stirring, moving about a bit, but there's nothing there. I'm a bit freaked out, right? When I go to look at the kid, I notice there's this little black mark
0: on her pillow. Might have been nothing. Could have been me earlier. Maybe I put my hand in some dust or something, but it freaks me out. I've already been having strange thoughts about that other room. I get this closed chest and I put it in front of the door to keep it shut. I know my mind is playing tricks on me, but I thought I'd sleep better that way. I didn't sleep hardly at all. The next day I decided I was going to sort out the damp once and for all, just to put my mind at rest. I had the paint, I was going to put the kid down for a nap and paint the room. Keep the door closed and the windows open. It was a warm day. It should dry pretty quick, so I wait, make breakfast for me, feed the kid, play for a few hours and wear her out, and I put her down for the afternoon. Then I got myself ready for work. I put her cot in her bedroom and closed the door. I got my paint tray ready, filled it with the cream coloured paint, put on my work overalls, and I got ready to paint that wall. I didn't like it. Those shapes, those shadows, they creeped me out. And I wasn't sure why, but I was ready to get rid of them. I was stood right in front of them with my roller, all ready to paint them over. When I hear the kid cough, I think whether or not to go in there, but it stops after a moment. Then I turn to look back at the wall. It was a hand. It could only be a hand. It rubbed itself over my face. It was cold and clammy, but dusty. It rubbed the black, damp dust over my eyes. I almost screamed. My whole body was, like, paralyzed. I dropped the roller and started to fall backwards. Lost all my balance. I stumbled into the wall at the other end of the room, knocking over all the paint and landing on the floor. I was shaking. I rubbed my hands over my eyes. I couldn't see properly. And then when I tried to open them, I saw it coming towards me. It peeled itself off the wall and was walking up to me. The biggest shadow. It was human and it was coming towards me. It was coming right up to me. I had this limp. It was dragging its leg behind him. He was coming right for me. He had something in his hands. A club. Or a stick or something. He was coming right at me with it. He was going to hit me. He was going to kill me. I fucking panicked. I was out of my mind with fear. You've got to believe me. I have never been so scared. I actually pissed myself. Pissed right down my trouser leg. when I saw that thing come out of the wall and come towards me, I have never been so scared in my entire life. I couldn't think straight. I was crazy with the fear. I jumped up off the floor and ran for my life. Pretty much fell down the stairs, bolted through the door and ran out into the street. Paint footprints all the way down the stairs and onto the pavement. I was there in the street, broad daylight, piss running down to my ankles. And I don't know what to do. I'm hysterical, totally hysterical. But there's no one around. No one to shout to, no one to yell to, no one to help me. Christ, what are you supposed to do? Something comes alive, comes alive and comes out of your wall trying to murder you. What do you do? Call the police? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? I could barely stand up, I could barely breathe. I was so out of my mind, so absolutely out of my mind with fear. Otherwise, I'd never have forgotten. You've got to believe me, I was terrified, otherwise I'd never, I'd never have left her alone. I screamed when I realised, it wasn't my fault. I looked at the flat, I could see into her window, her bedroom window, and in the window were shadows, not just one of them, all of them. They were stood there and they looked right at me. It was a family, two parents and two kids. They held hands and they stared at me. I couldn't see their eyes. They didn't have any eyes. But I knew they were looking right at me. I bolted back for the door, charged through it and up the stairs, tripping on the landing, smacking my chest against the floor.
1: And I was too late. They'd taken her. The cot was empty just sheets covered in black smears and dust. They'd taken my baby. I rushed back to the other bedroom. The damp was gone. I
0: mean, some of it was still there, but the shadows, the shapes, they were gone. There were still dots and patches of the black, but that was all it was. They'd gone and taken my baby. What could I do? What could I say? What could I do? I get all the
1: blame. No one can tell me. What could I have done? I don't remember what happened next. I just sort of lost it. I wandered around and around the flat. I wasn't even looking for her because I knew I wouldn't find her. And then Laura came home. She couldn't believe it at first. Thought I was playing some sick joke.
0: Then she started screaming. Called the police. I hadn't called them because I didn't know even what to say to them. They didn't believe my story. I was arrested, thrown in the cells, but they couldn't prove I'd done anything. I told them the story over and over. They didn't believe me and they kept on at me. And they kept blaming me and
1: telling me to come clean. They let me go in the end because they had nothing. She's never forgiven me. She blames it all on me.
0: And what did I do? I just tried my best for them both. Did everything
1: I could. Can't be trusted for anything, me. I always fuck everything up.
0: Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support what I do, please consider leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. You can also become a patron and enjoy some bonus content by signing up at patreon.com slash new ghost stories. This story features in the book 14 New Ghost Stories, which is available from Amazon, Apple Books, and other book retailers this podcast is written, presented, and produced by David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to find out more about New Ghost Stories, visit my website, newghoststories.substack.com. And to get all the latest from me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at New Next time on the New Ghost Stories podcast, the weeds start to get out of control.